0: Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Friends, it's so great to worship together. Today, as I said, we're going to be in Ephesians 6. We're going to be bringing to a close our sermon series of Into the Mystery of Christ. We can grasp a little bit of Him, but so much of Him is beyond our comprehension. It's amazing. Last week, we talked about the battle going on within us. The, the civil war that's going on within us when it comes to godly submission and all that that entails today we're not looking at the battle within we're looking at the battle without the spiritual battle that is going on the cosmic battle of which we are a part Jesus of course is a protagonist he is the main contender but we get to walk in lockstep with him as we push back the, uh, the uh, demonic forces of evil so I know it's going to seem like a full-on scripture, but let's read it out. Like I said last week, uh, this scripture was meant to be heard orally, uh, not meant to be read initially, but meant to be heard. So let's just let the words of scripture roll over us and let's uh, do some work together in it. Here we are in Ephesians 6, chapter 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. God, as we come to your word today, I just ask that we would come with a a fresh look at it. God, we'd not be bound up by uh, our own thinking, by past interpretations of it. I ask that we'd come to you, we'd learn from you, and we get to do it together. God, let my thoughts drift away. We want your thoughts to be paramount here. We love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, a number of years ago, my wife and I bought our first house. We had no business buying a house. We'd been missionaries and church planners for a long time. But through this string of miracles, God provided for this house. It was amazing. Now, it took everything that we had to get the house, and it was in a really tough area. Although it became a great base for ministry, hundreds of people came through there and were ministered to there. We didn't know this, but before we bought it, it had been used as a drug den. It had been used even as a brothel. It had a really heavy past. On the day that we found out that we got the house, we rode down on our bicycles. We didn't even have a car because we'd sold our car for the deposit. We rode down on our bicycles and we were there kind of in the garage and we started praying over it. Now, I'm not a Christian who gets a heebie-jeebies and sees a demon under every rock at all. I'm kind of the opposite. My wife is more spiritually attuned. But there's no question on that day we felt as we started praying there, we felt some sort of spiritual force or something malevolent and evil that was fleeing. It felt like, you know, when you go down to the basement and you flick on the light and the cockroaches scatter. That's just what it felt like. Friends, if you forget anything else that I say today, remember this: that when Jesus comes in, demonic forces and evil has to flee. If you forget everything else, just remember that and we'll be fine. This passage begins with finally. Now, I know some of you are eye-rolling, I've only got one word in. But I want to say that, that this passage that we read before, often we kind of write it off as something that just kids' church people do. They sing the songs about the armour of God and so on. I just want you to know that, that, no, this is a very powerful scripture for all of us. It was a ubiquitous image. Paul in prison in Rome would have seen many Roman soldiers and even the people in Ephesus would have seen them them very frequently. This would have been a reminder to them about this message that Paul, remember they were hearing it orally, he wanted to give them a word picture, something they could grab, something that would be current, something that would be a good reminder to them. So it's not just for kids, but neither can we write it off as something that is just kind of a, a weird kind of postscript for the nutty kind of demon hunters among us, the Van Helsings who go and fight the demons with our gigantic study Bibles and our, our weird websites. No, 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 we can't write it off so easily as that. This, in fact, is a culmination of all the themes that have uh, flowed through the letter of Ephesians as we've been studying it. It talks about the supremacy of Christ. It talks about cosmic reconciliation. Embedded in here are, are words of holistic, radical followership, Of Jesus Christ. Finally, it says, "Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Be strong, or literally, be empowered in the keryos, which is the word that's used here for Jesus, seven hundred and forty times or so in the New Testament, but was used for Yahweh in the Old Testament in in the Septuagint, which was the Greek." translation of the old testament over seven thousand times referring to the lord the god who is most high yahweh himself here it's applied to jesus be empowered in this guy in this master this lord be empowered in him by the strength of his might the emphasis here is it's up to him it's not up to us it's not up to our humanness being strong it's up to him doing it I was reminded about that kid's movie called Turbo. It's about a snail called Theo, and he has these dreams about one day being a Formula One driver, but he kind of comes out of the dream and he's, just, he's still a snail. And then one day he goes and somehow he ends up near a drag race and he gets sucked through a manifold and through a mystery of science, I guess. He, his DNA gets melded with nitrous oxide and he ends up being super fast and, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen it, okay paused all right but for the rest of us he goes on to win the Indy 500 and it's this crazy sort of story it's just like that except that it's not just a power in us not just some sort of melding of DNA in us it's a person and it's a person of the Lord himself through the power of his spirit which has been brought to us and we are now in lockstep with and what are we to do in this we're to put on the full armor of God It says it there, it says it down again here in verse uh, 13, put on the full armor of God. It's his armor. We're to make sure it's fully on. A friend of mine said there's a real power in this when you think about the work of the Jesus community working together. We need to put on each other's armor. It's God's armor. We need to check each other's armor. We need to be proficient in it. We need to be helping each other in it. We need to make sure that we're fully clad. Friends, don't be like a newborn babe somehow thrown into the middle of a medieval battle with blood and gore and all that's going on around you. Be clad in the armor. Know what it is. This is talking about holistic discipleship. And why are we to do that? So that we can take a stand against the devil's schemes. Stand appears there and three times further in that passage talks about taking a stand for the Lord. This is not a passive thing. This is an active thing. At the end of 1 Corinthians 15, it says, Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. We are called to stand. It's an active thing. It's not passive. The, one theologian says it's kind of the picture here is of soldiers up on a hill. They have the victorious position. They have the supreme position already in Christ on the cross. Satan has been defeated. He has, as Peter Wagner says, not yet been fully destroyed. But on the cross, he has been defeated. The war has been won. But there are skirmishes still going on. This is what we need to contend against. But do it in an active stance. Do it together. Have confidence on the brothers and sisters on each side of you that they will not let the line be penetrated by the schemes of enemy Satan. And what are these schemes? It says in 2 Corinthians that we are not unaware of the devil's schemes. What are his schemes? A theologian called Henry says that Satan is most powerfully present where he's either denied, where he's forgotten, where he is unexpected, or where he is unnoticed. Friends, the primary method that Satan has for gaining power is camouflage, to make us think that he doesn't even exist. As I travel about the world for my role with our church, I go to a lot of cultures and mostly around the world as I travel. They don't question whether Satan exists or whether the powers of of the dark world exist they're like yeah of course the question for them is is Jesus stronger and the answer of course is categorically yes but here in the west with our you know arrogance and our intellectualism we've kind of put so many layers over the top of things that Satan can kind of he can kind of fly under the radar we deny him Some people even deny that he exists. Friends, make no mistake. He is a real enemy and he is out and he is after you. But for Jesus, you should be very frightened. But for Jesus, all hope would be lost. But for Jesus, we'd be in all sorts of problems. We, in fact, would be toast. But in Jesus, we can overcome him. But he's scheming. Don't be unaware of his schemes. Roy, a couple of weeks ago, mentioned that documentary called A Social Dilemma about how these logarithms are getting smarter and smarter about how to manipulate us. Every time you click on, you know, red Ferrari rather than yellow Ferrari, it goes, oh, I see. Here's a preference for that. In the good and the bad, click, 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 smarter, smarter, smarter. Every time we make a decision, it's getting smarter about how to manipulate us. Satan is exactly the same. If you're wondering and you're new to the whole church thing, where Satan comes from, actually the Bible uh, implies that he was originally the worship leader in heaven. He was certainly an angel, but he started becoming prideful. John Calvin said that pride is the mother of all sins and it's pregnant with every other sin. He started to think the worship should come my way. It shouldn't be going to God. It should be a little bit, just a little bit even coming to me. Because of that, he was cast out of heaven. He took a third of the angels with him. And they became the demonic forces of evil. This is the demons. This is Satan and the demons. It's real. And but for Jesus, we would be toast. Let's not be unaware of his schemes. What ought we to do? And here we come to, I think, one of the truly remarkable scriptures in the whole of Bible, one of the most remarkable verses. What does it say? For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the rulers and the authorities and the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Firstly, friends, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Humans are never the enemy. They can be used as a puppet or a pawn in the hands of the enemy. Hurt people hurt people. The things that we've gone through, they make us hurt other people. But hear this and hear this well. Even your very worst enemy, the person who absolutely hates your guts and wants your demise, they ultimately are not your enemy. Even the very worst of people, what we see as the worst of people, I've seen it. I've seen them come to know Jesus. I've seen them radically transformed. We are capable as humans definitely of great evil. But we are also capable of great good because all of us are made in God's image. And this is good for us to know. So when someone comes against us, friends, we ought to pray for them. We ought to pray whether it's through gritted teeth or with a happy heart, but both ideally getting to the latter, that we can pray that God would bless them, that he would draw them to his side because they are not the enemy. But then it goes on and it talks about what our enemy is. The spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms, this is a clear reference to the demonic, to Satan and his demons who are coming against us. And friends, we need to be aware of that. But there's more nuance going on here than at first glance we would think. A guy called Leslie Newbigin, who was an amazing um, missionary out in India uh, and saw some amazing things happen, he he came back to the West and he wrote a lot of our uh, stuff, our thinking on missional church, doing missions in the West comes from him. But he talks about the powers and principalities. It's here and elsewhere in Paul's letters. And he says that actually, yes, of course, it's a demonic forces. Of course, it's that. And yet also in scripture, it's more of a neutral term as well. It can be other things. It can be cultural institutions, cultural powers, governments, and so on that that we set up. He even says, and I think he's right, that it can be something that in and of itself is a neutral thing or even a good thing. He cites the law, the law of the Old Testament as something. How could that be bad? He talks about this idea of absolutizing. When we absolutize something that is merely good but is not the ultimate thing, then it can be used for ill. You know, the people who crucified Jesus believed that they are abiding by the Old Testament law. What about something like nationalism? Now, I love this country that has adopted me and I've adopted. I love it. But friends, make no mistake, we are not American Christians. We are followers of Jesus and as a far distant second. We can pray and work for the blessing and the shalom of this nation. But don't wrap... The cross in a flag, even something good when it's absolutized can become evil. Another thing that uh, was brought out of this was by a guy called Dean Sherman who worked with Wywam. And he talks about the spirit of this world. In Second Corinthians it says, we haven't received the spirit of this world. We have received the spirit who is from God, that we can understand the things freely given us by God. Because you see, Satan is called the ruler of this world in scripture we're children of God but the whole world lies under the power of the evil one it says in 1st John 5 how can that be he's even called the God of this world small g this guy Dean Sherman says that actually we need to think about it like this that whenever we think that we are insufficiently loved by God we are with osmotic borders giving in to the system of this world's thinking it's a worldview thing It's something that has to do with our philosophy, our understanding. He says, You can never add anything to your title before the Lord. You're a beloved daughter, a beloved son of God Himself. Now, this is hard because we always want to do things. We always want to somehow prove ourselves, somehow show that we're worthy in some sense to God. At the Bible college, my wife and I used to lead. The students used to say, Nick, you never let us call you pastor. You never let us call you doctor. You never let any of these things. And I said, guys, that's right. I said, I, I'm a pastor, but, but pastoring is, is a verb. It's not a noun. I love to shepherd people, but don't ever call me that. I don't call you Bricklayer Bob or Accountant Sally. That would just be ridiculous. It's what you do. It's not who you are. And I said, if you want to, you can call me by my real title. And of course, at this moment, there is prick up. They're like, what the heck is that? And I said, if you want, you can call me Nick, beloved son of the Most High God. We'll sound pretty weird, a bit culty, but if you want to, you can go there. But you get what I'm saying. Friends, you are beloved in Him. You are called in Him. You are empowered in Him to be a contender. Don't think that you need to prove yourself. So why are we to do all this? We're to stand against these things. And we're to put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes... You notice it doesn't say if, it says when. Satan is coming for you and certainly Armageddon and all the stuff that's in the the last chapter of the Bible in Revelation, that's coming. But this is talking about the very present reality that we have. Remember I said on the cross Jesus defeated Satan, but Satan is not yet fully destroyed. He is out and about. He is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour and he will devour the soldiers that are out by themselves, the lone soldiers. He'll devour the soldiers who are inexpert, inadept, they, they, or uh, inept. They don't know how to, to use their armor. That's who he's going to go after. He's coming for you. And what are we to do? Well, here we come to the great passage. And this is so rich and it's so amazing. And it's not just for kids. It talks about the spiritual armor of God. Stand firm, then. There it is. Stand firm with what the belt of truth buckled around your waist. You know, like those muscle builders who just pump the stuff. And, you know, we used to say they're like a balloon full of walnuts. And they've got that huge belt on that girds their loins. The belt of truth, the truth of God saying, I love you. You are my beloved. And learning to discern that from the whispers of enemy Satan who'll say, You are not enough. Did Jesus really die on the cross for your sin and your shame? Really? seems too crazy to imagine we need to discern and ignore the whispers of the enemy and we need to hear the words of God even this week with a workmate we're talking and I could sense that they had been listening to the whispers of enemy Satan and I just came out and I said you need to know that's not true that's not who you are that's not how God sees you that's not how any of us see you you are loved The belt of truth buckled around our waist. What else? A breastplate of righteousness that only someone else can actually buckle on for us. This is a breastplate that covers our heart. I've heard people say it's not on our back because we're not running away from the battle. It's on our front because we are there. We are engaging in the battle front on. But our sense of self, the seat of our being. What does it go on to say here? Um, our feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace the roman soldiers who remember this is a reminder of this is a walking daily reminder probably for those hearing this letter they would have looked at their shoes or they were sandals and they had nails driven through the leather for strength but also for grip so that they could be gripping and standing and this is the gospel of peace Friends, we're always to be ready to give uh, every reason for the hope that we have and we're to do it with gentleness and respect. Friends, don't listen to the enemy's lies who says you sharing the gospel and sharing the life of Christ is going to fall on deaf ears. Sometimes it might. But friends, we get to share the gospel of truth, not in a weird Bible bashy way, but in a way that is real, in a way that is authentic. When we're out surfing, when we're at the coffee shop, when we're at work, because that's who we are. We're followers of Jesus and we have on his armor we're to take the helmet of salvation you know this for me always reminds me of Romans twelve two, where it says that we're not to conform to the patterns of this world we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind because then we can test and approve what God's will is his good pleasing and perfect will for us his specific will for us If we allow our minds to be transformed by the word and by Christian community, we can move forward in confidence in who we are in him. And lastly, the sword of the spirit. Now you'll notice that this is the only offensive weapon that is there. But this is something that that we pull out of our scabbard. Friends, this is something it says in in, uh, Hebrews 4. It says that the word of God is living and active and it it penetrates us and divides our soul and our spirit and our joints and our marrow and it judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. There's two senses where we have to sort out. One is with ourselves as a scalpel. We allow the word of God to be the scalpel moving our heart. And the other thing is we need to have it out. Kind of like the orc sword that Frodo or Bilbo had, both of them had. It would glow when the enemy is near. Friends, if you don't have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, what are you fighting with? Seriously, what are you trying to fight with? Your finger? Your fist? Are you kidding me? This is a spiritual battle. Friends, you need to be aware of this. And I love the shield of faith that extinguishes the darts of the enemy you know this is one that i love because it talks about us working together you know the roman shields are not like the little ones in the gary larson comics of the vikings these were big shields They were made of hardened wood covered in leather that would be dipped in water overnight so that you would hold it up so as a flaming arrow came in a lie or a temptation. Remember the devil's schemes. He knows how to get you. It's different to how he gets me, but he knows how to get you. He's going to send those arrows over but the shield of faith. No, it's going to extinguish those arrows for you, but also for others. You're going to lock your shields in with others on the right and on the left. The Roman army was known for this thing called the testudo, which means uh, tortoise, where they would lock the shields together. You've seen it in movies, right? On each side and on, round the back and then guys on the top. And in ancient military warfare, this was more or less an impregnable thing, a phalanx that would move forward and take ground. The enemy could not get into it. It was so strong, some historians said, that actually when there was gullies, they would do these things and people could march across the top or even chariots in a kind of, I don't know, medieval you know, or you know, early first century crowd surfing sort of way. They would be able to go across the top of it. Friends, we're to work together. We're to extinguish the arrows. We're to be together. We're to be doing this as one. We're to be contending together. Jesus is the hero. He is the main contender, but we're to be in lockstep with him. And lastly, to pray in the spirit on all occasions, to pray in spirit tongues, to pray by the words of the spirit, to pray by the sword of the spirit, to let it be always our posture to have our lives being lived as a prayer. Before God, this is how we're to be. We're to be alert, it says. First Peter 5, it says, be alert. Your enemy, your enemy. The devil is prowling around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Like I said, the soldier by themselves, the soldier who doesn't know what they're doing. Friends, don't be that way. We're called to live a remarkable life. We're called to be contenders. And here we come to the end, and we're going to come down and land here. And I love it how Paul says, pray for me. This is Paul the Apostle, the guy who wrote a heap of the New Testament. He's the undisputed sort of leader and thinker of his day in the Christian church. He says, please pray for me that I'll fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. This mystery, into the mystery. He admits to a degree of mystery to Christ, but he says, pray for me. Pray that I'll fearlessly make it known. You know, Jill Briscoe said that courage is doing the right thing terrified. He says here, friends, pray for me that I can be strong. Because really, it's Jesus who we're talking about. And in the end, when Jesus comes in, evil has to flee. In a second, we're going to sing together. And then lastly, I'm going to pray the benediction over you that Paul wrote to the Ephesian churches, the home churches scattered throughout Ephesus. But before we, do there, before we go there, like I said, if you remember one thing, remember that when Jesus comes in, the enemy has to flee because the enemy fears him. My wife and I once were doing an outreach in a, in a sort of new age and a cult area. And we'd been in a park, and this guy came up, and he was a really trippy guy, um, my wife says. And, and he kind of, I guess he was trying to pick her up. And he said, hey, you know, actually in a past life, you and me, we've been reincarnated, in fact, many times over. Little did he know how tough my wife was, and she, she shut him down. But later that week, we are out on the beach, and we saw this guy. And uh, we're walking down, the guy who was trying the, you know, new age pickup lines. Hey, baby, we're reincarnated together. But here he was, he was sitting on the beach. He actually had no recollection of that earlier time. And we could sense that there was something going on with him, some sort of oppression or possession, we don't know, but something spiritually that was going on with him. And we were talking away. But you know, when I mentioned the name Jesus, something strange happened to him. It was like one of his eyes started twitching and he started shouting and he got really strange. And he... So here's what I want to say. The demons and Satan himself fear Jesus If you are in a place of oppression, just where you're at the end, your wits end, you cannot get out from under this heavy burden. You have nothing left to give. If all that you can do is think about Jesus, if all you can do is just to say, Jesus, Jesus, friends, that is enough to send the enemy packing. I pray that you would be a contender. I pray that we as a church would rise up and contend. I'm going to pray over you the benediction that Paul spoke or wrote to be read out over the Ephesian home churches. Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord, the Master, the High One, the one that we adore, the one who is a main contender, the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, with an undying love. Friends, I pray that you this week would love Jesus with an undying love. I pray that you would rise up and be a contender. May you be blessed this week. I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving, and I look forward to all that God has in store for us. Be blessed, and we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.